0: warrior woman. Welcome back to the podcast. All right. So after two solo episodes, I am back with a guest. This is her second time on the podcast. Dr. Katie Habener is an osteopath and Katie and I have known each other for quite a long time we started our weightlifting journeys together and we competed against each other a couple of times in Melbourne, Australia. So we are very comfortable together. We're very comfortable with a barbell in our hands. We are also both coaches, teachers. Uh, Katie has been in this space uh, for over 10 years. And what she did realize was that there was a big gap in clinicians who could work with athletes wanting to compete in sports like weightlifting and CrossFit. And so this really pushed Katie to become this hybrid clinician uh, and weightlifting coach. So she offers both, which is really super cool. So she practices osteopathy uh, in her clinic, but then she also is a coach, uh, a weightlifting coach. And she has a lot of weightlifting athletes that she coaches. So I think this really is super cool, this space that she found and this hybrid uh, role that she created for herself. So she offers both like programming, coaching and osteopathic care. And she works with so many athletes to improve their range of motion, their joint health, to improve their technique, and she also provides programming, uh, and that could look like uh, breath work, which is what we're going to talk about today, it can look like rehab or prehab work, mobility work, range of motion work, technique work, uh, all the way to like strength work and Olympic lifting. So on the podcast today, Katie and I talk about breathing and the pelvic floor. I really wanted to get her on to talk about breath and our pelvic floor and how that connects in with, uh, you know, our health, our training. So here's a little bit of a snapshot of what we chat about. Uh, We kick it off right away with a banger of a question where I ask her, is there a right way to breathe? (laughs) Uh, Then we talk about uh, the five diaphragms and how to use them. And this was my favorite bit of the podcast episode. I had many, but I actually didn't know we had five diaphragms, which is so super cool. So we talk about those and how we can access them and use them and why we need to be using them all. Uh, We chat about why we have trouble breathing. Uh, We talk through some key breathing exercises to help us connect to our breath uh, and our body how we engage and relax our pelvic floor so we really dive into the pelvic floor, you know, what it's made up of, some myths around it, uh, and how we can start to connect into it. And then we talk about how do we breathe during movements and training. Uh, I hope you really enjoy this episode. It's really important, our breath, uh, and we do talk about that in the episode you know, why we need to bring attention to it and is another piece that helps us connect to our body and helps us build trust with our body. All right, Warrior Woman, I hope you enjoy this episode with Dr. Katie on breathing and the pelvic floor. Welcome to the Warrior School podcast, the podcast for women who train. I believe lifting weights, knowing our cycles and training with them is the future of women's training. I also believe this training, nutrition and health stuff shouldn't feel so goddamn hard and we should all feel strong and confident. So this is your go-to show for practical information to build a stronger and healthier body. You'll find content on training, nutrition, hormones, and tons of experts who want to help you get stronger and healthier. I am your teacher, Amy Bow, coach, dietitian, and the creator of Warrior School. Okay, Warrior Woman, let's do this. I want to just, we're going to start straight away. Uh, And I want to ask right away, is there a correct way to breathe?
1: So this is an interesting um, question. And I love this question because I think that it's such a slippery slope where we start telling people how to breathe. Like we breathe 22,000 breaths a day. Like it's, it's an automatic thing. We don't have to think about it. If we had to think about it, we'd probably be dead because we can't multitask most of us. I think the way that I think of breathing is there's a correct way to do it with a specific task in mind. So it's very much a task specific situation. So when we're breathing at rest, that should look a certain way. Um, And when we're breathing during training or we're breathing under load, that should also look a certain way. And I think from my perspective, the biggest thing I see is people um, carrying over patterning from training or breathing under load. To breathing at rest or just generally not having the capacity to breathe at rest in a way that is like down regulating their system at all so breathing at rest in a way that's like i guess not restful so it it, it it doesn't kind of have that correct patterning or um it's too uh too focused on the inhale very sympathetic driven very stressed um not able to kind of like really relax and let go and i think Breathing can be such a really beautiful way to bring our system back down. But when we're not aware of it, or we're not focused on it, or we're not able to tap into it, it's kind of like one of these things that just goes like unexplored.
0: Okay. So there's not like a correct way to breathe, but it mm-hmm. is very uh, situational. Uh, it depends on the context of what we're doing the activity but I really want to explore breathing at rest and like why that's important you know why like how does that work what how should we be breathing why is the breath important to like our nervous system and and our stress and and then I wanted to move into like the breath under maybe load so we can talk about lifting the breath under you know, um, intensity or tension. Yeah. So let's start with rest and breath.
1: So most people aren't breathing in and out through their nose at rest. So this is, I guess, a bit of a generalization and there's probably lots of people that are because they've become aware of it. There's been a recent book that's been published by James Nestor, who, um, talks very like in great detail about breathing and the importance of breathing in and out through your nose. He did his own self experiment and took a whole load of data, like blood glucose and stress and like all kinds Mm. of things. And it's just astounding um, the, the findings that he found about breathing through your mouth um, exclusively for two weeks versus breathing through your nose exclusively for two weeks. Um, So if anyone's interested breath by James Nestor, it's a fantastic book and I give it to lots of patients and they just, get their minds absolutely blown but the biggest thing I think is breathing in and out through your nose at rest is really important um if you're kind of like breathing in and out through your mouth and your jaw is ajar and you're kind of like panting it speaks to I guess the level of stress that you're under um, and your inability to like really regulate your nervous system so we have um many branches of our nervous system um, And our breathing is regulated by our autonomic nervous system. And the the beautiful thing about breathing is that it can be controlled, but it's also something that you can do without having to think about it. So it is automatic. Um, And our inhale is generally associated with our sympathetic nervous system and our exhale is associated with our parasympathetic. So what this essentially means is, inhale is like the fight, flight, freeze, go, 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 um, sort of side of the nervous system if I'm gonna be generalistic. And then the exhale is the like rest, digest, calming, um, peaceful side of the nervous system, repair, that kind of thing. What we generally see um, with people that are breathing through their mouth is that they're also inhaling or they're over-breathing. So they're inhaling more than they're exhaling. They're probably inhaling at a, a more regular rate than they should. Um, so they actually are not getting good gas exchange. They're not getting a full um, exhale the way that they need to then get a good inhale. So that kind of starts to become, I um, a, a, a guess, a cycle. And it can often happen um, after a stressful event or a traumatic event. We might have a change in the way that we breathe at that given moment. And then we don't do anything to come back and re-regulate that breathing pattern. Um, so it's a really interesting thing to explore with patients and people because people tend to be breathing through their mouth or they tend to be holding their breath a lot. So this thing where we're all kind of working from home and we're on our computers a lot, we're not taking a lot of rest breaks. Um, a lot of patients have said to me, like, I don't even realize, but I'm, I'm clenching my jaw and I'm holding my breath. So that will be like, kind of like at the computer doing their emails um, or doing their work and they're not really breathing at all. So that's kind of a whole nother thing that is talking to that part of that nerve system dysregulation that can occur. Um, so I guess optimal breathing at rest should be inhaling through the nose. It should be using our primary respiratory muscles. So we have, um, I guess, two groups of muscles that are responsible for breathing. We have our primary and our secondary. Secondary are things like our neck um, and, and things that I guess are there to, like traps even, there to support us when our primary is maybe being overworked. But what tends to happen is people... Um, that stress rely on those secondary muscles to get their ribcage to move and to get the air in and out because of stiffness, because of stress, because of patterning, whatever it may be. Um, so then they kind of present with things like pain or movement restrictions because their breath at rest is actually like an active breath or their breath that they should be using when they're training or moving, if that makes sense. So it's it's a very interesting thing to explore and watching a patient or a person just breathe at rest that's the first thing I do with every single person um and I get them to like tune in and be like okay so where do you feel the air what Mm. what's happening like are you breathing with your nose or your mouth like and and I very much try to come from it of a point of like not biasing my opinion so they can give me their 100% opinion lots of them are breathing through their mouth lots of them really struggle to even close their mouth for an inhale. So they don't feel very safe um, doing so. So it's, yeah, it's very, very interesting kind of the, the bleeding over of, of, of training breath or breathing that we use over, um, under load to what it looks like when we're at rest and we should actually just be able to chill out.
0: Yeah. And the reason why I wanted to talk to you about this is, you know, I talk so much about the foundations, like building your foundation and really like right at the bottom is the breath (laughs) because, uh, you know, if our breathing is off, uh, it just has this cascade effect of, you know, and I'm sure you can speak more powerfully to it, but just in the last 13 years I've noticed is there's just so much stuff that branches out from incorrect breath. But it kind of, then on the other side, it's funny because we talk about it it being so autonomic, you know, it should be automatic. So like, how do we screw it up? You know, <laughs> like, yeah. like the body is like, should just know how to breathe. Like, why are we all breathing wrong? But I think you just spoke to it. Like if something happens, whether that's through injury or trauma, or, you know, maybe we've had a really stressful period or we were sick, and for some reason that changed, whether it was like the the, the muscles or this, the, our breathing pattern, we can hold on to that pattern, especially if we're still in this stress state. Um, and most of us are in a state that is <laughs> quite stressed, so... Yeah. Um, Okay, so so, yeah, so this is why we're speaking about it, I guess for those that are listening, because the breath is like the foundation and it's really important, not only when we we look at training, but it's important for your nervous system and to manage and calm down that nervous system. Yeah, and I
1: guess like if we look at how we should be breathing 22,000 breaths a day-ish around about there, if we're breathing in a relatively steady state, Um, and that's a lot of repetition. So if we're doing that repetition in a way that's feeding a pattern that may be producing pain or limitation or even anxiety, um, that's, that's a lot of reps in the bank. And when we look at it from a training lens, like think about how many reps we say we need to learn a pattern. So that's a day, a day of breathing in a way that's maybe dysfunctional and our patterns kind of started to solidify. So I think it's an important practice to kind of bring in um to to training but also to wellness because it it has that connection to stress management and mental health and as well as the physical connection so being able to manage gravity and manage pressure and being able to breathe in a way that keeps our body safe keeps our body strong but enables us to move lots of load if that's what we want to do or enables us to rotate and move really well if we want to do running jumping other athletic kind of things so I think um, a lot of people can think of breathing as just like, okay, I've got a brace really hard, but it's not just that. It's also like, okay, it helps me calm down. It helps me regulate my nervous system or it can actually help influence movement a lot. So where I'm able to breathe into tells me that I'm able to expand a specific area and where air goes, I can get movement. Whereas if I can't get air into a specific position um, in terms of like my thorax, so my rib cage and my abdominal area, then I'm potentially not going to be able to get great movement there either. So that's going to play into these kind of um, changes in patterning or movement that could potentially lead to issues, pain, injury, immobility, things like that.
0: Yeah. So can you just speak to like, why do we struggle so much to breathe through the nose and if we have breathing patterns uh, that are like disrupted, what happens? What's, what do you see from that?
1: So breathing through the nose is a really interesting one. And this is like um, a lot of this I just pulled straight out of that book that I talked about before, but it's kind of come from a change in diet. So not using our jaws as well as we have in the past. So eating processed mushy foods that don't require chewing um, and that severely shorten our eating time so our jaw and face shape actually can change um, which then is going to influence the, those pathways and our sinuses and how well air can get in and out through our nose so that's kind of one piece of the puzzle i guess the other thing can also be affected very much by allergies so i guess in the western world a lot of people do struggle with things like hay fever um, because of whatever allergy that maybe they are experiencing but often we don't explore that. So rather than saying um, okay I'm having something in my environment that's irritating me I need to maybe look at cutting something out of my diet or changing my like cleaning products or whatever it could be it's kind of like I'm gonna go pop a hay fever pill which my god I totally get. hay fever is not fun. But kind of that, that that mindset of like, okay, um, let's be reactive versus proactive with our health. So not exploring that. And I guess the third thing is James Nestor talks about in his book, like it's kind of like that old thing that we've all said as trainers, like if you don't use it, you lose it. So if you don't breathe through your nose as a practice, your nose goes, I don't need to be used like this anymore. So, and because we have that backup airway, I suppose, which yeah. is our mouth, um, we, we stop relying on it as much and it, and it then no longer gets used. So it no longer needs to be used. So then airways start to shrink a little bit. So it's, it's a very interesting um, multifaceted issue, I suppose. And I think that um, it's, it's looking into this further is just amazing. There's lots of books that talk about like skull size and face size. There's lots of evidence um, and research that's going into like like, it, it sounds crazy, but I can look at a patient sometimes and be like, you're not breathing right. And I can literally just tell from the shape of their face, the, the alignment of their jaw, like things like this. There's a very famous orthodontist in the UK. And when I lived in the UK, I actually met him. And then since reading about this, I've been like, wow, I knew that guy. But he is like really into the jaw position and the breathing posture and kind of, he looks at it from an aesthetic point of view, but also from a functionality point of view. So how well can these children breathe and what can I do in order to like open these airways? Because it's very, very interesting. Dentists will often just remove teeth um, because the jaw's gotten smaller, but they don't look into the potential things of like why that's all happening and kind of the flow and effects from that. So removing teeth might be good for a crowded mouth, but then it's not going to help the airway so, yeah, it, it, this is probably stuff that is way out of my education. I'm literally just a hobbyist when it comes to the dental world of this, but it's very it's very interesting and I'm very keen to learn more.
0: Yeah, I, I've never heard of, like, yeah, the jaw stuff and the chewing, and that makes total sense. You know, if we have to actually, like, masticate something oh. for, like, a really long time, we have our mouth shut, which means yeah. we have to, like, breathe through our nose. And it's, yeah, things that you just yeah you don't even think of but again I there's whole specialists now I'm sure that are just specializing in the jaw and the development of the jaw and and eating and how that like connects to our like our airway and our nasal passage which is it's so cool
1: and because like these are muscles like I think we forget that our, our face is like muscles so if we're not using them and we're not like opening and closing because we're just having something that's soft like if we just had liquid all the time or like soft foods and we didn't like get a good crunch we're not having to use that power in our jaw we're not having to use those muscles so then there's going to be atrophy there's going to be change in function so it's it's very interesting and I think um the other interesting thing because we're talking about the pelvic floor and we're talking about breathing so like we have five diaphragms in our body, so we think of it as like okay. Most people know that we have a like respiratory diaphragm, and then like the woke people are like, oh, the pelvic floor is a pelvic diaphragm. But we've also got a diaphragm in our tongue, so like it's 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 one of the diaphragms of our body, our thoracic outlet as well as our tentor- tentorium cerebelli. So it's like um, a part of our brain essentially, or one of the areas of our brain. So there's like such a like a flow through our whole body when it comes to this air stuff, breathing stuff, because it it should have, um, I guess, five movement points throughout our body. And in osteopathy, we call them our junctional areas. So they're the areas of our body that we want to be able to move so that we can get respiration, metabolic waste to move, all of those kind of things. So it's very, very interesting because the tongue kind of ties in with that respiration pelvic floor viewpoint as well.
0: That's so fascinating. I also didn't know that. I didn't know that we had five diaphragms, which is so cool. So if those five diaphragms aren't working optimally for whatever reason, and we just discussed that it can be super complex, you know, it could be like uh, orthodontic stuff. It could be tongue stuff. It could be sinus stuff. It could be, you know, so many things that it's important to find that cause, that root cause, but you know, what are you seeing from these five diaphragms not working?
1: working um optimally or working together or working as well as they should be yeah it's like it can manifest in so many different ways and i guess when we look at like the tongue and the brain and those kind of things like that's something that i i don't work with specifically um, that's definitely a referral there's osteopaths that do craniosacral therapy that look much deeper into that and that's a it's an amazing field but something that i personally haven't gone down the rabbit hole of yet Um, So if I think of like the diaphragms that I would manage and see, it's things like your thoracic diaphragm as in your outlet. So up here kind of between your collarbone and your neck, I suppose. Um, Then you've got your thoracic diaphragm in terms of respiratory. So that's sitting um, like under the bottom of your lungs and kind of around your rib cage area. Then you've got your pelvic floor. So when we look at that and if they're not optimally moving as, as like as a team essentially, You're going to have movement dysfunction. Potentially, you could just have um, inability to manage pressure. So you might just feel like I see patients all the time that come to me that aren't necessarily in pain, but they're like, I'm strong until I'm not. Like I kind of fall off a cliff with my strength. And it's really interesting because let's say they're squatting 50 kilos and they can do it for five reps. And then you put 51 kilos on and they just fall down into the bottom. And it's a lot of the time, A, because they don't have the ability to manage pressure. They, they get to this threshold and they no longer have the ability for their pelvic floor to contract at the bottom of their thoracic canister and get them out of the bottom of a squat. So it's, it's not always pain or like um, stress or issues that show up like that. Sometimes it can just be like, I am just not strong. I'm not as strong as I should be. Maybe I'm not getting the results that I'm working really hard for. And I want to just explore like the difference in that. Um, A lot of people have like associated foot pain and jaw pain with these kind of things because they're very much related to those areas as well. I guess the body's just pretty crazy. Like we can't really isolate it. It can show up in so many ways. And I guess this is why it's important um, to have a coach, but also have those practices that bring you back to these things. Because when you're under a bar or you're doing your program, like you don't think about that it's just like I just want to tick my box and get it done and like move well but I'm not thinking about my thoracic outlet and my diaphragm my pelvic floor so it can be a very um a hard thing to get into but also like with with help of I guess someone to kind of guide you can it can help a lot to explore these things and they might be like that missing piece of something that you have been struggling with that you've been trying to work on
0: yeah. And, you know, I think it's it's our piece to think about, you know, we go searching for, okay, what imbalance or maybe what's causing it, but the breath is a piece that we need to think about. So if we have shoulder pain or we have foot pain, like we definitely need to think about the breath and it's not something that, unless you're a practitioner or a coach, it's not something that we as like an athlete or a, you know, a person that trains thinks about a lot. And it's definitely something just to start to pay attention to, like, like you said, how do I breathe? Like right now, where am I breathing from? Um, What does it feel like? Do I find it hard? Am I breathing through my nose, my mouth, my chest? my tummy, like, what am I feeling? Um, and then even with your training practice, just start to notice, like, don't change anything, but like, what do you notice with your breath? Yeah. Uh, and so let's move into that. So with training, like how does the breath change? Or I think what, how we could frame it is how can we use it as a tool to support our training practice?
1: So I think like we think of breathing as um, everyone talks about like proximal stability for distal ability. So what that means in human speak is like getting really tight through your center so that you can be really strong more at your extremities or your limbs. But I think well-meaning strength coaches can kind of um, cue this in a way that's not giving us the full picture sometimes. So it's like take a big breath or fill yourself up. Um, and that can work really well for some people and for other people, it's not enough information. And, um, I find a lot of people come to me specifically cause they're like, I just want to learn how to brace better. Cause I don't feel it when I squat or I lift, I feel my back or I feel my legs or whatever it may be. I want to be able to connect with that area, especially post-pregnancy. Um, mm. but I think the breath is a tool for us to increase intra-abdominal pressure, to enable us to stiffen our trunk so that we can then lift heavier loads safely. So the big thing, I guess, with safety under a barbell is we just don't want excessive spinal movement. So we don't want to be um, coming from a a place into flexion or coming from a uh, flex place into more flexion. Like There needs to kind of be like some relative stiffness. Now, that's not to say that there's a perfect way to lift. There's definitely always going to be individual variances, but we, we generally use breathing to brace ourselves so we've got that really strong abdominal canister. And I guess I know before I started delving into this stuff, like i literally had no thought as to what I was doing when I was breathing to brace. I was just getting that air down there because that's what I was told. I was pushing my air into my belt because that's what I was told. And it wasn't working for me. And I was like, I'm getting back pain. I'm having issues with incontinence at heavy loads. I'm getting pelvic pain. Um, This this doesn't seem right. So I guess learning to brace correctly and not just use like rectus abdominis in terms of like six pack, using obliques, using TVA, using a diaphragm, like having that whole connection is what makes you feel stiff and strong through that area. Um, Whereas I think a lot of people just kind of breathe out and then like crunch ribs down because we're very aware of the stack now. Um, But people forget that we've got literal rotational muscles that are working around our body to kind of hold us there. And depending on your sport of choice, often those rotational muscles are completely like not even given any love at all. So it's very much like, okay, let's do sit-ups and let's do plank holds. But we're, we're not rotating. We're not using our obliques at all. Um, often we're, we're not using our deep core, like our TVA. And it's very interesting because I think like the TVA is one of these things like Pilates um, in the 2000s, like went down that road for back pain. And now people are very like, oh, it's not about that, blah, blah, blah. Evidence has moved us away from this but that doesn't negate the fact that it's still an important part of the core. So it's like, I love like the um, ups and downs of the health field. Everyone gets very dogmatic about things, but like I think sometimes when something gets pushed so much, everyone was talking about TVA contractions for back pain and for bracing that now there's been evidence to say it's not the only thing that's important. So now everyone just forgets about it but it needs to be working in a conjunction. So I guess the biggest thing that the breath can do is it helps us tie it all together. And if we do that well, we can be really strong and really, really safe at heavy loads. But if we don't do it well, there are things like inconstance, there are things like pain, there are things like falling off the cliff where you just no longer are strong in a position when you've just gone two kilos heavier. So it's, a, it's definitely an interesting thing to kind of explore. Yeah, so can you just uh, explain what TVA is? Oh, yes. So transverse abdominus, it's a muscle group. It kind of wraps around your body like, um, like horizontal ways. So it's kind of like a corset-y kind of muscle. Um, and it's the muscle that we feel when we say like pull belly button into spine. So that was a cue that lots of coaches used um, back in the 90s and 2000s, like early 2000s. And it's kind of come out and people are now saying that that can be a problem and, and blah, 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 blah. And like anything, like we all learn and we all grow as coaches and health professionals. (laughs) So it's one of those things that maybe that was a a cue that lots of people used and now we're learning that there's other pieces of the puzzle, but it's still a very important muscle that we need to be using. Um, And it's like any muscle, you know, if we use one more than the rest, then sometimes we can run into trouble. So we need to just be trying to achieve some semblance of balance throughout our system and that's the same for our core.
0: Yeah, I like that you talked about all the pieces because like you said, often we can just think about, um, you know, one of the biggest things I've seen with females is we always try and suck our stomachs in. You know, we like we wear tight pants. We really suck our tummy in to like look skinnier and we have, this is a problem. I've just noticed that we have a really um, hard time, like re- like relaxing the whole belly, the whole diaphragm, the whole pelvic floor, uh, wow. because for so long we've sucked our stomach in. Um, and again, I can see, you know, why the cue of just like belly button to spine, you know, but it had its place because it, yeah. it was, it served as a cue to like connect us and and to get us to understand and yes now we understand that there are lots of different pieces to it but I think that's one of the biggest things I've seen is that females just have such a hard time actually relaxing and, and breathing into everything because we've held our stomachs in for (laughs) so long. Um, But when you talk about like this bracing and connecting them all, what are we actually doing? And how do we, uh, how are we connecting all these pieces? Like, how do you teach someone to like, to connect them?
1: So generally we start with just like what I said before in terms of like exploring the breath. So what do you feel? What don't you feel? So I'll normally get someone on their back, bend their knees up, get their hand on their belly, get their hand on their chest and literally just take 10 breaths to feel what's happening there. Often the demographic of people that I treat tend to be um, weightlifters and CrossFit athletes. So these people tend to have what we're going to call like a bit of a flared ribcage cage. So what this means is it's just tipped up a bit to the sky. So for these people specifically, I try to teach them to use the exhale to get that rib cage to come back down so that it kind of sits nicely over the pelvis. So when I think of the pelvis and I think of the rib cage, I think of like a pot and a lid. Like we essentially just want that connection between both of them because that puts our respiratory diaphragm and our pelvic floor in a nice aligned position. Don't love that word, but it kind of speaks to what we're trying to visualize right now. Um, so using a really good exhale where we get rid of all of that air Once you kind of get to like five, six, seven, eight seconds of a long, slow exhale out of your mouth with a bit of a sigh, you start to feel those deep oblique core muscles, like starting to move your rib cage down. So I will often just get someone to exhale for as long as they can and they go, oh, that was actually really hard. So exhaling for 10, 12 seconds, you start to feel that sensation. And I think once you felt a sensation, it's much easier to repeat it. So then we start incorporating different cues. So trying to get that ribcage to come back, exhaling the air all the way out, but making sure we're still keeping tall. So often these specific athletes also will want to crunch. So when they crunch, they're using that rectus abdominis. So our rectus abdominis runs from our xiphoid process to our pubic symphysis. So what this means is essentially, if we've got collarbones, we've got a bone in the middle called our sternum, our xiphoid process is the very bottom of that. Then we've got our six pack muscles, they come down through our belly button and they connect onto the front of our pelvis, kind of like right between our two hip bones. So what will happen with some people if we don't carefully cue that is that they will exhale and they'll go dropping through everything. So that can actually put us into more of a precarious position. So it's important to be, I guess, passive in our exhale, but also aware of what we're doing. Um, So that's generally how I will teach the first piece of that puzzle. Then once they've gotten that breathing position, we're going to go into different positions. So it may be we're squatting and we're feeling that exhale um, to then re inhale into. So once I've taught a solid exhale, we then need to teach an inhale that keeps that same position. So what will really happen very, very often is I will get everyone um, get patient to exhale and get like in this nice position. And then they go to breathe in again and they go and they have to like lift everything back up because they don't have the capacity to breathe in that position. So when we can't really breathe in a position, I don't think we really own a position and we don't have to own every position all the time, but it's, it's a goal and it's something that can definitely help with pain management or stress relief. So being able to breathe in a in a stacked position is so much harder than people realise, especially when you're an athlete who's used to having heavy weight on your back, because that in itself pushes you into this extension based pattern. Um, weightlifting, as you know, a lot of overhead work. A lot of people don't have the ability to get their arm up overhead without flaring their ribcage up, and it's absolutely not a problem to flare your ribcage. Absolutely not. It's a hundred percent a safe thing to do, and lots of people have it. But what can happen? is we get so flared that we no longer can unflare and then we've got pain or we've got stiffness or we've got stress and we're like, Oh, I feel gross. I don't know why. And just giving someone um, a practice of breathing where they bring themselves back into, I guess, some realm of neutral can just help that whole system then go, all right, now I have options. So now I can flare and I can unflare, which makes me just feel generally better. And I guess the like the other thing is because our sympathetic nervous system kind of lives in our thoracic spine in the back of our rib cage. So those nerve ganglions are there. So if we think about that and we have like this super extended, very toned, tight area, and we're flared, it could be feeding into things like anxiety, stress, inability to sleep, adrenal dysregulation. Like there's there's a whole thing we can kind of go down, but Sometimes, like feeling anxious, can be positional based because we are kind of like pumping our nervous system just because we're extended. So, being able to get back and into some more neutral position can help with that side of things as well. And that's a big thing that I guess teaching lifters can, or athletes in general, anyone that kind of trains and cares for their body, it can be a really useful tool. Because if you're like, I notice it all the time on myself. If I'm very busy and I'm at the computer, um, and I'm trying to get stuff done and then I catch myself and I'm like, like in this like super extended position, like full extension whilst I'm like typing. Yeah, and it's ridiculous because that's not like that's not easy to type like that, but I, I don't even notice it and then I'll be like, oh, my God, okay, like <laughs> get out of it. And it's so interesting because I think the slump has been like so demonised. Everyone's like, don't slump at your desk. It's so bad, blah but also like the extended chest up position is also not amazing. <laughs> like no position is amazing to stay in all day. So sometimes we sit around because our, our we've been told don't slump at your desk. So everyone's like this, but then they're actually more stressed because they're just compressing and sympathetic nervous system. So it's like you yeah. actually <laughs> benefit from slumping and like letting air get back there and getting that 360 degrees expansion of your rib cage because like that's going to make your nervous system feel better. And right now, I think everyone's nervous system needs a little bit of TLC. So. Yeah,
0: I love that you say that. Uh, one of my warrior women, she said she saw an osteo. She lives in Newcastle. She saw an osteo the other day, and that's exactly what the osteo said to her. Like, don't be sitting at your desk, like, like, reefing your shoulders back and, like, flaring the rib cage. Because, like, like you said, we've been told, like, sit up straight, shoulders yeah. back. And yeah, of course, of course you know, Moving the spine in all different ways is really important. Keeping it in one way for eight hours, not that great. (laughs) But yeah, she was told, she said, you're just like in this extended position and flaring your ribcage for like eight hours a day while you're at your desk. And so you need to you need to move out of that. You need to move into some flexion um, and
1: create some space in your thoracic spine. (laughs) Exactly, space because our thoracic spine should have a gentle curve in it. And I think like we become like we're like play-doh we become what we repeatedly do but when we're using a lot of load to jam us into extension all the time that can be really hard to come back out of and it's definitely possible but we just need to spend a little bit of time doing that so I think like this is where the breath stuff can be really useful or different training variations like deep squatting and different things where we're trying to promote flexion because We're so scared of flexion. Disc injuries are obviously an awful thing to have to go through, but I think there's kind of like this, um, like people are missing the extension part of it sometimes. We're so terrified of flexion that we overextend all the time. And then when we're in pain, people tend to like not see that. It's like, oh, don't flex. So it must be flexion. But then you're like so extended all the time that you're like, my joints are literally closed packed. Like I have no movement options. I'm so sore. But it's like, I'm not flexing. So there's, there's this massive piece of the puzzle that I guess can sometimes be overlooked. And flexion is fantastic. We just have to do oh, it in a terrible yes. way. Like we're not going to go Jefferson curl 50 kilos day one, but like, it's like anything with training, you know, it's small steps forward, listening to our body and moving in a range that we feel comfortable. And yeah. we have, when we demonize any range of motion straight away, like that's, that's just, our bodies were made to move in every which way. And yeah. what we practice, we get better at. Um, but at the same time, like, we need to be practicing all all options. That's, that's what keeps us athletic and functional and able to walk, move, breathe in a way that keeps us healthy. Yeah,
0: yeah, so powerful. Um, and still, like, it's, you know, st- like, yes, it's with practitioners and coaches now that we understand this concept of, like, there's no bad movement, like, there's just a lack of preparation or, you know, the body needs to move and we need to, but so much as, like, an athlete or, you know, a person that trains, we they just don't think about that right mm-hmm. now. Like, right. Yeah. You know, it's just not talked about a lot. Um, And so, and I like the bit that you said around, you know, you have to, there are steps that you need to take in your training. It's the same with the breathing. So we're starting just by noticing, you know, at rest, we're looking at what's happening at rest. Then you lay someone down on a table and then you get them to focus on this exhalation. So this mm-hmm. complete like emptying and they should feel something when they do that. Yes. Okay, and so then you get them to come out of that lay, like that that lying position, and you get do you get them to do a movement now, like a squat, and normally them- an
1: isometric, yeah. So we'll okay. do like maybe a bear plank or a side plank, or uh, like a hamstring bridge or something along those lines. So we're challenging the system, but we're still getting that same breath. And if they, so then I'll say, okay, maybe we're doing this specific. Uh, drill for five breaths. So the goal is not hitting sixty seconds, but breathing like this. It's like okay, I'm going to do five perfect, solid, long exhale breaths where I'm connecting to those muscles and feeling that position. And then that that's that's a good way to progress someone because five breaths for me and five breaths for you is going to take a completely different amount of time depending on like where we're at in our journey. So I think that's a nice way to not have to have these arbitrary KPIs of you must be able to do this bridge for 30 seconds. Like it can be, all right, I'm going to use breaths as my measure and I'm going to really focus on exhaling for six seconds or for as long as I can manage for this point in time, um, as well as long as it's quality. And I guess the other thing I missed was um, we exhale well so that we can get a good inhale. And that's a really important piece of the puzzle because inhale, as I said earlier, can definitely drive stress. And that's not a bad thing. But if we're inhaling in a way that is like secondary accessory muscles, so like neck and like very Yankee on our system, like we're, we're basically undoing all that great e- like exhaling that we've been doing. So learning to inhale with a relaxed face, a relaxed jaw, tongue on the roof of our mouth, inhaling through our nose, not getting heaps of tension through our neck like that's a skill that is such a skill and i give my patients um this drill all the time where they have to have a uh, a rolled up towel under their neck and they practice essentially breathing through their nose without <laughs> using their neck muscles or like yanking through that and honestly everyone struggles like it's so hard I myself struggle I will set a timer and lay down and try and do 10 minutes and I'm six minutes in and I'm like what oh, can this be over like it's so hard and then it speaks to like okay what am I doing for the rest of the 23 yes. hours a day like what am I doing at rest and this is <laughs> another really interesting thing because when I'm sleeping like I am lucky, I'm not lucky, wrong word. I've worked hard to be able to now breathe through my nose without allergies and like to get a restful sleep. When I was in the middle of my weightlifting career, it was normal for me to wake three or four times in the night. I was not healthy. Now I've worked hard and I'm, I'm in a much better place and I don't generally wake, but my partner snores and a lot of people snore and it's a breathing dysregulation thing. It's not something that we should just be like, oh, that's just funny. They snore how cute or whatever. Mm. It's like, you know, my dog, my, I have a bulldog. He's called Huxley. He's adorable. He snores so loud. And it's so interesting because bulldogs are frequently taken in for airway surgery because they snore so loud. But as a human, we snore and no one thinks anything of it. They're just like, oh yeah, that's the thing that men do or some women or all women or whatever. People don't actually explore that. And then it it, it tends to be we wait until sleep apnea or like um, we start having these really big symptoms that that then we then look into it versus being like, okay, I snore. I should probably look into the why. I wake up with a really, really dry mouth and a sore throat every morning. I should look into why. Because I bet you it's because you're like (sighs) like all night (laughs) when you're breathing. (laughs) So that speaks to how you breathe at rest and whether or not you're getting restful sleep. Like if you're not resting and breathing in a way that is promoting this parasympathetic nervous system, like you can be training so hard and then be going to bed and like not really getting as much recovery as we're looking for because Mm. you're sleeping, you're breathing and all of that is maybe not on point. And something as simple as 10 minutes before bed of a practice breathing drill can just help. That's so much like I have had patients waking up with pins and needles and dead arms um, and they have been routinely doing this necrol breathing 10 minutes before bed. And it's crazy because I put a post on my Instagram about it and I had like five messages of people going, Oh my God, I did this last night. And I woke up for the first time with no dead arms. This is amazing. That's literally just that, that diaphragm we talked about your thoracic outlet learning to let that relax and not strangle our brachial plexus which is the nerves that supply our hands so that neck muscle stuff is so important and just having a neck roll there to let it all relax and start learning to breathe without going through your neck all the time can be so powerful for so many reasons so it's very it's very interesting we could probably talk about this all day
0: But that's a great thing to try. So you just roll up a towel and you place it in that space that if you're laying on the prone, like on the floor, I'm in a supine position, sorry, on the floor that um, you just fill that space. So you're not straining your neck. So it's just taking the pressure off and then you want to try and you're breathing through your nose. Are you exhaling through your mouth or through your
1: nose? So... I generally it depends on the on the person and the situation. Let's say we're trying to breathe before bed to stop pins and needles or snoring. I would say through your nose. Yeah. If we were using this specific drill um, to help uh, feeling our core, but we were having maybe neck pain associated, then we would be maybe going through your mouth. So it's definitely individualized. But if we're going pre bed, I would suggest nose in and out. So the the neck roll or the the towel generally sits in the, the lordosis of your cervical spine so we mm-hmm. should have that nice kind of like arched um spinal curve there but another thing that can happen when we go back to this pelvic floor rectus abdominis dominance is that that's on so our sternum comes down and then if we think of the sternum and the neck muscles our sternocleidomastoid attach all of this is attached so what happens when we are constantly on for our rectus abdominus a head comes forward so we start mm-hmm. to be the like this. So we've dropped. So then that promotes this this beautiful curve that should be there is no longer there or it maybe isn't there as much as it needs to be. So just putting that towel there can be crazy for people because they're like, oh my God, this is such a stretch because they're so used to having their head so far in front of their body. But if you just the lay them down, like gra- um, there's no gravity. The, the ground is there supporting their nervous system. So there's no threat. So they're able to just like let everything chill. Like the front of the neck is a super sensitive point for so many people. Like it is a very, very emotionally driven point as well. So just having like that neck roll and opening it out can be so intense. So I always preface this when I give it to patients. Like if you find it really hard, that's really normal. Like it, it's it's one of these things once again that we build a skill on, but we're gen we're just supporting that um, cervical curve And we're trying to inhale in a relaxed way and exhale in a relaxed way and just work to getting as much of an exhale as we can. So the inhale might be like a a one to two ratio inhale to exhale. Then we can work towards some pausing. So inhaling for maybe three seconds, exhaling for six, being able to pause for six, but then re-inhale in a way that's calm, not re-inhale like, (gasps) I'm I'm so hungry for air. I need to just like like sniff it all up like it needs to be passive and relaxed and calm um and it is so hard it is it is wildly hard so yeah so
0: how do you teach you know you you mentioned that just before around it's the inhalation is really important but it's important not to lose the connection that we've just created and how does that how do we even begin to to learn to not lose it
1: so the neck roll is really helpful because that'll open your airway um the hand like tactile stuff so hands on the lower rib cage so if you felt that rib cage come down like through and then being able to re-inhale but not go up so there's going to be lateral expansion and there should be but we just don't want that front to back tipping to happen Mm -hmm that's driving extension through the mid-back. So that's that sagittal plane. So we want opening and closing and that's totally fine, but we don't want that fling back up of the rib cage at the front. So having your hands there is so interesting and powerful for people because they're like, oh, my God, I can't do it. Oh, my God, I can't do it. <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah, it's yeah, very, yeah. very hard. And you will slowly get better at it. The other thing I sometimes cue is to like people think that belly breathing is the only way. Um, to breathe for relaxation. And it, it, it's a hard thing because I, d- I don't disagree. I just think we need to be very specific on our cues and we need to be very specific to an individual. So for some people, cueing them to breathe down is going to be helpful and important. They might have a hypertonic pelvic floor. They might need to get expansion down in their pelvis. For other people, it's the opposite. They've got too much and they need to learn to breathe up here. So we have ribs that come all the way up to our collarbones. But I think people think of our ribs as like, the flanks of our body like just here but we forget that they connect to our spine they connect to our sternum they connect to our neck they connect to our hips like it's all it's everywhere so being able to breathe everywhere is really important and um breathing into like i say sometimes like breathe into your armpits breathe into your collarbones feel that area breathe not just like the belly rise and fall because when we think of the belly rising and falling that's not air that's our organs because our diaphragm is pushed down and our organs have to go somewhere. So for often if someone's got a hypertonic pelvic floor that doesn't like to yield and kind of move with the diaphragm, the, the organs have to go out. So that's another thing. I know we've like, I have worked with lots of women that have this like lower pooch that they're like, I hate this little pooch belly that I get. And often it's got to do with pelvic dysfunction, it's got to do with a pelvic floor that doesn't lengthen because when they breathe, they don't get, have that ability to load through those tissues. It's very hypertonic. It's very stuck. So they don't have anywhere for their guts to go. we have so many organs that need to go somewhere. And when we think of our like, thoracic diaphragm, as we inhale, it pushes down. So these things just have to have something. It's like a trampoline at the bottom to kind of receive, to then bring back up when we exhale But if we have the bottom part that doesn't move, it goes down. We're just like, we've we've got to go out. We've got nowhere else to go. So we go into that front bit. And then we have people that are unhappy with like that little area because they might work so hard and be really on point with everything else, but they've just got this little pooch area and they're like, I don't get it. Why? And a lot of the time it can just be, we need to learn to let go of your pelvic floor and to actually receive your organs a little bit better.
0: Yeah. How do you do do that? How do you let go? let go of the pelvic floor you have to become aware of it first (laughs) like well I think so so much of our awareness for so long was like contract kegels like contract 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 contract. okay hold your p in think about holding the p in like squeeze and yeah okay so Yeah, but there is what I've seen a lot. I was seeing a lot of hip pain and lower back pain. And the amount of work that we were doing through breath, through mobility, through release work, activation work, they were just, it was still there. And I thought, okay, you have to go, you need to go and see a pelvic floor physio. And I saw so many women that had hypotonic pelvic floors that just like they wouldn't move and it was causing um, hip pain
1: and back pain. Oh, it's so common. And I think like the other really big misconception with pelvic floor physical therapy is that people think you've had to have had a baby or you have to be peeing your pants. Yes. And it's like, no, there are so many other things. Like, like you said, hip pain, lower back pain, pelvic pain, pain during sex. Like there is so many things that like you can cover up. And I am not a pelvic floor specialist by any means. And I 100% agree with you. Referral is key. But from my observations... Uh, hypertonicity in the pelvic floor is something that I uncover, like I encounter, like three to one in terms of like weakness, and lots of women, I guess, um, they they think, oh, I must be weak. I'm peeing my pants. I'm going to squeeze harder, and like all we're doing is feeding a cycle that's actually not helpful at us for us at all. So we need to be able to learn, I guess, to lengthen and then to contract. So contracting is a piece of the puzzle. But when you go and see a pelvic floor PT, they'll actually teach you how to slowly relax and like let it go. And that's really hard. And seeing a pelvic floor PT is it's a very confronting, challenging experience because it's, it's very intimate. It's an intimate area, but it's so beneficial. And I think the biggest thing for this is that like in my experience, three or four consults with homework given was all that was required to kind of mm-hmm. cut, like clear up what I was struggling with. Um, It's not one of these things that you need to expose yourself to long-term because they're so brilliant at what they do. They're able to really make some fantastic change for you in the short term. But in terms of a breathing perspective and how you can help yourself immediately, like literally sensing it when you're breathing is something that's really important. Tactile cues again. So whether or not you're sitting on a rolled up towel or you're even just like touching kind of underneath your ischial tuberosity or your sit bones and you kind of come towards the middle and you breathe in and out in a side lying position and whether or not you feel movement there. Do you feel kind of like pressure coming down when you inhale? Do you feel it recoil when you exhale? Because sometimes like it depends on the type of learner somebody is. Do they need to feel it? Do they need to see it? Do they need to have it done? Whatever. But it, it's, it's very powerful just to start – being aware of it. And I guess the other misconception is everybody, not everybody, a lot of women that have been strength training athletes think that when they inhale, they need to pull up. And that's like a whole backwards situation because when we inhale, our thoracic diaphragm comes down, our pelvic floor needs to lengthen. But if we're doing the opposite, we're like once again, squishing those guts out forward. So we need to let it relax and then let it come up. So if we come back to that same idea of breathing and we learn to exhale first, the same thing can be appropriate with the pelvic floor of learning to Kegel. So you've got that when you're exhaling, you've got that up, but then learn to inhale and let that tension go, which is incredibly hard. Okay. So we're
0: inhaling, we're inhaling and letting it go. So we're imagining this like lengthening down into like the pubic symphysis into the bottom, like bottoming out, you know, and then when we're exhaling, we're imagining... Kegel. the drawing up, like the Kegel, yeah. the pulling up. Okay. So this is the important piece. Cause I think, like you said, we have it backwards mm-hmm. and, and it's hard to picture. So Katie's using yeah. her hands a lot, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're using our hands a lot and you can't see, but um, you know, we have our hands about, I don't know, like about 10, a foot away from each other. And so then when you're inhaling,
1: So if you think of it like a piston, essentially, so like two hands, they work as friends. Yeah. And if we're doing this right, so if we inhale, things are going down, exhale, they're coming up. There's little curves in our pelvic floor and our thoracic diaphragm that would flatten and extend, but that's not super important right now. So when we inhale, I think of like my whole front of my body as I inhale, that should like come down. And as I exhale it'll pull up. So when I'm in these breathing positions um, or laying down, like having your hands on your lower pelvis, if you think about like the front of your pelvis, where those like bony bits are either side of your hips, and you think of your pubic symphysis, kind of where, where your underline sits, you think of all of those things coming up and together when we're doing a kegel. And then when we think of inhaling and relaxing, we think of all those things letting go. So sometimes we have to feel that like uh, the squeeze to then find the relaxation point from it. And once again, it's so normal to be like, I cannot feel that when I do seminars for women about pelvic floor, like, Every I, I always say like, okay, who can feel their pelvic floor when they're breathing? And I if I have 15 attendees, I'd be lucky to get one that can be like, yep. And most of the time they've worked with the pelvic floor PT post-pregnancy or pre-pregnancy in preparation for pregnancy to try and get a handle on what's happening. Because it's for a lot of women, it's an area that like we don't think about. There's sometimes like emotional charges associated with that area. So it can be such a like a yeah. stressful thing to be going down and thinking about. But if you're having like symptoms when you're jumping or doing double unders or running or doing CrossFit or doing weightlifting, like it's so, it's so hard because I'm so much in the space of I never want a woman, a woman to feel shame about it. It is something that is, is normal in a sense of it happens often, but it's not normal in a sense of let's ignore it. We don't just go, okay, forget about it. Oh, well, or I just won't do double unders today or whatever. Like it needs to be something that we're like, okay, I need to actively do something about this and you can actively do things about it and you can improve so many things. And there's so many, like you said before, hip pain or back pain that you haven't connected the dots. So like having back pain and having stress urinary incontinence in your head might not be the same thing, but they're the same thing. Mm -hmm. So if we can get like you to look at that and that's why when we work as an osteopath, like I always ask these questions, always ask about, do you pee your pants when you do a heavy clean or heavy deadlift or anything like that? And women often are like, I'm here about my shoulder. I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> shoulder, breathing, rib cage, pelvic floor, hip pain, peeing. Like, don't you see how my brain works?
0: <laughs> All connected. Yeah. Of course the peeing is connected to the shoulder. <laughs> it definitely is.
1: It really is. But,
0: um, yeah, it's wild. Okay. Well, we've covered a lot, like so much, and I'm sure we could talk about breathing more and, and dive into it. What I thought was really cool sitting here, watching us like talk with our hands is that we could do like an Instagram live. We could actually do like some, a live practical breathing session, which would be cool. Or you do, you, you do still run your seminars, don't you, which are on, they're mostly live though, aren't they?
1: Mo- well, they are not fun. right now. <laughs> yeah, not right now. Um, I'm definitely toying with the idea of trying to put something together online. I think that would be a great like learning piece. I guess it's just, I there's a lot going on in Melbourne right now. As yeah. I'm sure everyone who listens is aware. So yeah. I'm just trying to like work towards that in the future for sure. But there is definitely some drills already on my Instagram that you can watch. But I think the idea of doing an Instagram live where we I take you through these couple of drills would be awesome i would love to do that yeah on and like just do some breathing and do some exhaling and do some re-inhaling go through the neck roll and like teach some people because like these drills honestly are it's all about the cueing and it's all about the feeling it in your body because once you felt it in your body your nervous system can be like i accept this i'm going to reproduce that Whereas like sometimes doing it on your own can be challenging. At the moment um, in Melbourne, we're not really training with people. So it's very, it it can be hard. And sometimes you just need someone to go, oh, just move your foot this one spot. And then all of a sudden it all will click and kind of come together. So yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah.
0: So what I'll do do is I'll, I'll, put the links to those videos in the show notes for the podcast. But then I think we organize like just like a little session where we can jump on and we can go through it. And so it's so nice to see visually like what you're doing and then to have the space to lay there and to feel it yourself Uh, because this is, it's so important. Like, don't just think about, yeah, it's breathing. And yeah, like, you know, it's like, if you want to have like this, this great training practice and you want to get stronger and you want to get results and you want to manage your stress and all of these mm-hmm. things, like you need to get a handle on the breathing, yes. the five diaphragms, the pelvic floor, yeah. and all of it. So um, yeah, I just, I appreciate
1: you and your knowledge so much. Thank you for having me, mate. It's been a great chat. I'm definitely very passionate.
0: <laughs> I know. She is. She's very passionate, but she's a <laughs> practitioner that uses her hands all the time. So it makes sense that you use yeah, lose- very I, lacking, yeah. I'm gonna put you in the
1: position. I'm gonna touch yeah. you there. So you can feel it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. She's been touching her body and she's been using her hands the whole time. But you know, I invite you to like uh, stay tuned, and we'll organize a like a an Instagram live where I can get Katie on, and she can uh, go through it. But. Uh, follow her um, as well and I'll put the little v- like the videos to the to the um, exercises on the Instagram. Awesome. Okay. All right. Thanks
1: for having me, matey.
0: Thanks so much. Oh, wow. Warrior Woman, you can listen to these episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please give it love by subscribing now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and share it with another warrior woman. Also, tag me in it on Instagram with your biggest takeaway. Hey, warrior woman. So this training, nutrition and health stuff has challenged you at your deepest level. And now you feel stuck. Maybe you've missed regular training for over a year due to an injury and you feel scared to start training again. Maybe you've tried so many programs but they didn't work. So now you feel tired, overwhelmed, out of shape and weak. I believe this stuff shouldn't feel so goddamn hard. I also believe that we should all feel strong and confident. So I pulled on all my knowledge and my experiences over the last decade and created Warrior School. In Warrior School, I help you swap confusion and overwhelm for a plan to get stronger and healthier. And who doesn't love a good plan? Inside Warrior School, I will teach you the key metabolic nutrition principles to give you energy and support your training. I teach you how to approach training to get stronger and get those results that you want. And I teach you how to regulate your cycle and use it as a tool to support your training. I invite you to become a part of Warrior School in three simple steps. Fill out the application form on my website, Book a free discovery call where we talk about your training and your goals. Three, start training today to get stronger and healthier.